Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson, scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years, here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step to 53342. New York, call the 24-7 Hope Line at 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. So what do you think? It's showtime. Welcome back to another episode of Showtime. I'm your host, Jason Madison, Birdman Hand Rub. Joined by my co-hosts, as always, Bethany Anderson and Anthony Mays. What up, y'all? How y'all feeling? What's good? Feeling like a basketball wife today. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got lots of questions for you today. (laughs) Big shout out to our fans who reminded me that we are the podcast that stands for penis equality on HBO. (laughs) That's right. We want to see dicks of all shapes colors and creeds that is our podcast mission thank you (laughs) make sure we get that out the way first man atlanta yeah let's do atlanta first i know i know you got i know you're chopping in the bit here jason you're not feeling too hot this is the second episode that you haven't really liked at all right yep yep this is number two after Uh, the first one after the, the fried chicken, or was it the second yeah, one? Yeah, it was the fried chicken one that I did. So you, so you are you are against the two sort of anthology episodes that we've gotten so far that have nothing to do with our main characters. Yeah, um, the first one with the main characters was cool. It wasn't great either, but these two in particular, there's a level of. Um, unsettling behavior in the racial <laughs> direction that I don't think is fruitful for anybody and it upsets my stomach. <laughs> like Okay. Let's hear more about that. What what exactly is like bothering you? Well in this episode uh particular when Shaniqua comes into his house and she's like yelling and not like she's just not being a reasonable human being. And I get it. It's a show this is a a dramatic scene but I just feel like it took me out of just feeling for her and the whole situation like because I like the idea of the plot like okay white people have to pay reparations whatever like if you find who you know who's connected to who you could count up or whatever however you want to run it I get it that's cool but then like having her come in there like this is my house and blah 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 it's like the same way I kind of felt how they did the mom in the other episode because the mom was like over abusive to her son and then just like throws him out and shit. And I was just like, I get it, but it's like y'all kind of doing too much. Like, I like the other parts of the story and like kind of what they were saying about, you know, the foster kids in that last episode. Like, that was like an important, like, interesting story. And the way they told that was interesting. Um, but yeah, I felt that Shaniqua scene was out of place and just out of pocket. You know, I, I I get exactly what you're saying because I 
was uncomfortable watching that scene. I was uncomfortable watching Loquarius's mom just do the most. But at the same time, we have black people who are like that. And I know yeah. we don't want to show that side of us. Right. But when it comes to representation, I think we have to show all sides of black people. Right. We are multifaceted. We have different sides to us. And to just put, you know, all of our greatness out there, uh, it gets a little bit boring. Like we are heavily layered, but I get yeah. how it can make you very uncomfortable, but you might know someone who is just like that. You might know someone or, you know, somebody's mom reminds you of Loquarius's mom or Shaniqua who was on live all up in Marshall's house. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but I'm going to just go ahead and say it like based off of this, interview that Donald Glover had with himself. Oh and, god. <laughs> and oh, god. and oh, the way boy. the way that he's painting Zazie Beats as well, like all of the female black characters don't be shit and be extra out in a weird ass way. And it's like he doesn't have no fly black women like in his shit and the way it shows how he thinks of black women and I don't think they're represented fully well. It's not like all of them are those women, you know what I'm saying? Like, show some fly women teaching you something or doing something or, you know what I'm saying, handling their shit. Like, show those too. If you want to yeah. show the, you know what I'm saying? Like, the girl stealing and, you know, the girl hitting her son and then, the, you know what I'm saying, the girl on live. Like, where's the, like, the other side? Yeah. So you, you just want it to be a balance. Uh, just make sense in a world, you know what I'm saying? And if your world is all about these fucked up portrayals of black women, then I think that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I get it. Yeah. So, so what did you? What else did you think about his interview? How did that I mean, even happen? Like, how do you say, "Oh, I'm just going to interview myself"? <laughs> just like it's too self-important. It's too like you know a lot of stuff. It didn't come across like how I think he wanted it to come across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the best part was that he said, you know, I don't like normal interviews because they don't ask, they all ask the same questions, you know. I don't ever hear mm -hmm. anything new. And then he asked himself the most straightforward-ass questions mm -hmm. that you could possibly get, your most run-of-the-mill, <laughs> basic journalism 101 stuff. Exactly. I mean, I've always been a Donald Glover fan. I know that there's, a, like, from community 30 rock writing days like i've been right. on what is it what was his little like Derek comedy i used to watch Derek comedy videos with the the big black dildo that was a great one i don't know nothing <laughs> about that bro rape bro, everybody <laughs> at home go go look up on youtube bro rape it's a fantastic never heard of that <laughs> fake yeah. dateline <laughs> comedy video from like the 2010s um i've been a fan for a long time he's officially Jump the shark into Kanye lunacy of mm. self-importance. Like, yeah, not quite Kanye Yeezus era, but like right before when he's going on Jimmy Kimmel and doing, you know, flow stream of consciousness ranting for minutes at a time to the point where Jimmy Kimmel's like, okay, and we're going to another commercial. Like th this interviewing yourself, comparing your show to The Sopranos, we love your show. Don't get me wrong, Donald. Your show is fantastic. But chill the fuck out and let your art speak for itself for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. And it's also like, I'm not going to make an excuse for Kanye, but the difference is also Kanye has 100 plus songs behind him before he starts really, you know, getting into that Yeezus era. It's like, Donald Glover, you have one album and a song here or there. You know what I'm saying? You got a nice show for a couple seasons. Like, Let's chill it out on, you know what I'm saying? I'm the god of this and doing all of that. Like, Yeah, I'm not talking so much about Kanye's music as I am when he's saying, I invented the leather jogging pant. And like, I'm <laughs> no, 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 I'm saying. Steve Jobs and I'm going to smash the ceiling, the glass ceiling, don't put a box on me. Like that type of shit. That's what. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm giving credence to Kanye doing that to a certain extent for having all his catalog. And I'm just saying Donald Glover does not have that same catalog to be puffing his chest out like that. And it's like, bro, just chill, do your little show. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not little. It's a good show. I don't want to downgrade what he's doing. I fuck with this show. It's very creative. Like, you know, and it has a voice and intention and creative ideas and great actors, all this shit. But 
Yeah, when you talk in the press, I don't know. Did you guys watch um, The Shop where he was on with LeBron? No, I haven't seen that episode yet. What was he, what was he saying? Well, one thing he did say is that he was kind of jealous of Kenta in her show, Abbott Elementary, that he mm, just, right. you know, loves. But one thing that they did mention was that, you know, when it comes to movies and TV shows, it's such a long process, mm. whereas a song you can make in one night and have it out the next day and it go around the world. Or if and you're so Dolly you can make two. Oh, boom. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I, I get what you're saying as far as like he doesn't have he doesn't have enough work under his belt yet to really just be going out here saying like I'm this and I'm that. I mean, I, counterpoint, he is halfway to an EGOT. All right. Like this is not True. This is not right. a joke. He's he's in his thirties. Like he could easily decide to write Atlanta the musical and win a Tony Award and then <laughs> maybe down yeah. the line, you know, get some sort of Academy Award for either writing or acting or whatever. So like mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not trying to take away from his talent. I just it's more the ego that I'm the ego from the egot that I'm objecting right. to. <laughs> um but but you know, enough of that self indulgent interview. Let's talk about this episode where I was very uncomfortable, guys. I don't know. Yeah, how did you feel as how did you feel as a white man watching all this as, happen? As a white man. <laughs> as a as the white voice of this <laughs> equal opportunity dick podcast. I <laughs> I was, you know, it was it was funny because it felt like a horror version of two different Dave Chappelle sketches. Yes. Reparations. Mm-hmm. I'm rich, biatch, all that. Yeah. Yeah. And then also when keeping it real goes wrong. It's like <laughs> this episode was one giant example of when keeping it real goes wrong. And, you know, Shaniqua doesn't like people playing on her phone. And she was about okay. to absolutely yeah. wreck shit. Yeah, it was like the inverse, right? Because she kept it real, yeah. and it actually went right for her. It went right, yes. She, yeah. she kept it extremely real, and it went extremely <laughs> right, yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I see what you, I see what you say, Jason. I respect the fact that this show can do anything, yeah. and that it can it can. Oh, you thought you wanted to see what you know what Van is up to after her late night dinner? Nope. Like we're we're we did a whole episode at this party that was self contained. Now we're just completely shifting gears. I respect that. I don't think it was as good as the rest of the three episodes. But it is also weird to try to imagine a world where the first episode and the fourth episode can both happen. Like, right. is, that, is that the world we're supposed to be living in in Atlanta? I guess. And we're not, obviously, we're not in Atlanta anymore. Was this in Atlanta? Have any of the episodes yes, taken this, place this in Atlanta? This one was. This one was. Okay, this sure. one was in Atlanta. And I think the first uh, one was as well. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, that's interesting. But I guess maybe it'll come every other episode. I don't like who knows what they're doing. Whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, what, what this season was about. I mean, I think they got a lot of acclaim from the Teddy Perkins episode. I think a lot of shows get acclaim from their one-off uh, divergent ideas that break the you know the chain link of of the narrative that's going for the season. So you know, Thanksgiving episode kind of made Lena Waithe blow up in a way for Master of None. So yep. yeah. Yeah, I I get it as like you know that's a different way to go at your album sequencing, I you know. But for us, I I don't know. We're still getting used to it, and I guess in a way this could be his eight oh eights and heartbreaks. I don't know, you know. Like, mm, yeah, it's like look at it in that lens. This episode was just really fun. Like I enjoy like turning on the show and not knowing what the fuck is about to happen and mm-hmm. just going for the ride and being introduced to this character Marshall and just going on this ride. The only thing that really kind of confused me was the the black guy at the beginning at the coffee shop and he's on the phone or he's listening to the podcast mm-hmm. and the guy's on the phone talking to the cashier right. and he, he you know he gets in the back and he goes to the back of the line I, or whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure I what think was she's... going on there. I think she told either his car got declined or she told him to go to the back of the line because he was on the cell phone. I, they didn't really show like what that was about. That was my two guesses. I wasn't sure. Yeah, I think that was just supposed to be confusing, B, because it's like yeah. we're tr- we, we're trying to figure it out. You know, like it's yeah. it's a slow un- unpacking of what the conceit is. So it's just supposed to be like, yeah, there's some racial tension. We're not really sure what it's about. Yeah. Okay. And so I've really enjoyed the conversations between. In the first episode, we have, at the very beginning of the first episode of this season, we have the white guy and the black guy in a boat. 
and he's talking to him. He's pretty much putting him up on game and telling him the history of this lake that they're on, which I'm guessing in Atlanta is probably Lake Lanier, which a lot of people, a lot of black people, but a lot of people have drowned in this lake and that there's a lost town underneath that was flooded to get rid of this black prominent city. And we see this guy again in episode four Mm. at the hotel talking to Marshall, our main character who Mm. is just down and out. And he's educating him on why all of this actually makes sense. Why black people should be getting, getting this money. But the one thing that just threw me off is that in episode one, after he tells his black homeboy in the boat about all of this, he turns into like this creature, his whole face goes white and he drowns old dude before Laquarius wakes up in this dream. But episode four, he excuses himself and goes outside and kills himself. Now, I was having a conversation with my best friend about this episode because I'm trying to figure out like what why is this connected? Like, are we going to see this guy kind of being weaved in and out of this series, even though he's killed himself in this, in episode four, but at the same time, in episode one, he turned into like this ghostly person and then reemerges in this episode. But she said something that I just couldn't get out of my brain. And she's, she was like, I think that this guy represents the myth of the white ally. And, (laughs) and so she was like, on the boat, you know, he harms the black man, but with Marshall, he excuses himself because in his wokeness, he's not going to help the black man, but with the white guy, he's kind of putting him up on game, but he's still going to take the easy way out and not pay up to this black family or whoever he owes. And she said, um, there is still white supremacy within white allyship. And I was just like, oh shit. Like I'm trying to figure out like what, you know, the writer's room, you know, what they're trying to do here with this one particular character. Yeah. So the opening boat scene for sure feels like an epigraph or, you know, some sort of like prologue to what this season is going to be about. Mm -hmm. I think that your friend is really on point. I think that the, you know, Atlanta's always talked about racial dynamics, but it feels like there's kind of an extra emphasis, definitely in these two episodes, on like the white perspective on it, which is yeah. sort of new. Like there aren't there aren't very many white characters previously in Atlanta, and the f- most interesting thing about his that guy. First of all, thank you for pointing that out. I didn't realize right. that until you said right. that that that's the same guy. Like I didn't. Put yeah, that I didn't know that was the same guy at all. We all look back. the same, you know. Like, it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had to go yeah. back. Okay, another white guy. Once he started to kind of go into this whole story, I was like, wait, this feels really familiar. So as soon as the episode went off, I went back. He Mm. has on the same outfit and everything Mm. from the boat. So I was like, Mm. oh, okay, what are we doing here? So then that so then he sort of becomes like a ghost, you know, like he's not even a real person. Exactly. And and especially if he shows up again. Right. Like then it'll be game over. Yeah. I feel like it's more like a white devil sound like to me. Cause mm. he's he's telling the black man this story, then he kills him, and he goes white. Then he's telling this white man, like you said, but won't harm the white man, and then he can't take it, and you know what I'm saying, paying the black man, and he already killed, you know, like he just seemed like he going to hell, like he killing himself. That's what you know, like it seemed like that's part of the character, you know, they want him to play like a new age white devil, like not like Al Pacino, but like a new version. It's like, I get like you're, you're telling the story, but who is your intended audience for, for that? Like, who are you talking to about this? Like, who are you trying to educate? Because a lot of black people know about, you know, Lake Lanier, but your intended audience is probably not watching Atlanta. Right. But that's the thing too. I feel about the show, like the overly racial shit. Like, I don't know, just in general as a creator and somebody who watches shit, like, it's so over racial, racist. We're gonna make a story about reparations and racist white people and make this this these white people feel bad. Like, who is your audience, bro? Like, all the people who's watching this already know that. So, like, who are you trying to like impress with this story? And that's really like the truth of how I feel about it. Like, 
I'm just like, if you are an intelligent black man, like, bro, we know the same shit. So what is, what are you telling me? Like, white people are racist? Cool, we got that. We already know that. Like, say something else cool or something else interesting. You know, like, and that's why I'm like, why would you waste a whole episode on this? Like, I was kind of bored of it. I, you know, after like 10 minutes, I'm like, all right, I get the where this is going. Like, cool, okay, yeah, this this would suck if they had to pay back the reparations. But okay. I mean, you you gotta say some of it was funny, like when Marshall's wife all of a sudden kind of switches up, like I'm Peruvian. This yep, would never happen that to me. Was amazing. <laughs> yep. No, it had its moments. It had some moments for sure. Yeah. She, yeah, she, but she wasn't feeling him anyway. <laughs> yeah, she was well, all feeling. According anyway. to the according to his daughter, you know, she's yeah. putting on perfume and, you know, that's for somebody else. Come on, we know. That. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Dad's about to like. Dad's about to pick the kid up. Like you got the night to yourself. Come on, B. You know how this is. You, you're not yeah, he was looking real thirst. Ex. <laughs> <laughs> no, when when the ex comes over, you still want to like present yourself and be like, see what you missing out on. <laughs> okay, right, right. <laughs> got you. Guys, we've talked about this before. HelloFresh. Our friends at HelloFresh are the best. It makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Look, here's the deal. It's all about the convenience. Not only did ingredients, the fresh ingredients, might add, come pre-portioned so you're not overbuying or wasting food, but it's easier than ever to get filling meals on the table in a snap with options like family-friendly and quick and easy recipes. HelloFresh's chefs really know how to diversify the menu with seasonal recipes like salmon limone and pasta primavera and you can pick your favorites from 50 different weekly options skip weeks when you need to change your delivery day update your preferences you can do all of that in the hello fresh app as i said i've done it before bought it for my family See, did the pasta primavera not too long ago we've also done oh this is one i really love the old bay buttered up chicken it is fire it is flames best of all it is fresh right in your own kitchen you made it you've got the ingredients fresh and it can be a lot cheaper than going out to eat absolutely and also cheaper than buying groceries so definitely make sure you get up on this hello fresh train go to hellofresh.com slash b-o-m-1-6 and use code b-o-m-1-6 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts again hellofresh.com slash bomb 16 use code bomb 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts hellofresh america's number one meal kit I, I hear what you're saying, Jason. I'm with you. I think this was the weakest episode of the year so far. But I, especially with after what B said, this is all building towards something big. Like, yeah. this is building towards a big thing. And, you know, we've talked about, like, comparing this show to an album. Like, we're still on track four. There's a ways to go. I do want yeah. to, because we did bring this up before, I want to read you guys the captions on Hulu. Yeah. For the last couple of episodes, because they've been cracking me up. So, the old man in the tree, the Nando one. This one was cool. Going to rich parties and meeting weirdos. Season one was better. Yeah. And then the big payback. I was legit scared watching this. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, you have to read in, in white person voice. <laughs> like that's right, right. That, that one is coming through the screen. Yeah, that's a good one. But should, we, yeah. should we get back to the... The sh- other the sh- show, the main show that we supposed to <laughs> the talk main about course. on the podcast. Yeah, yeah let's, let's get to let's the main course. Yeah, man, because this show has actually been delivering. They delivered even stronger, I feel like, on this episode. This is my favorite episode of the show wow, so okay. far. Um, yeah, they they. this is like, this is Adam McKay when he's getting into his movie bag, into his style, and he starts really, like, whoever wrote it, I, I, I need to read who wrote it because, you know, the emergence of Paul Westhead, which I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, yeah. like, what is that going to be like? And that's what this episode was about for the most part. So, yeah. Would you, how'd you guys feel about it? I'm not going to say it was my favorite. I think when they went to Palm Springs and had training camp, that, that was probably my favorite. But this, you know, episode six, what was it? Uh, Memento Mori, the uh, episode title. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, with 
Paul being a Shakespearean, you know, what was it, like an English teacher? A scholar. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. he um, goes into his comfort zone a lot in this episode, giving us, dropping, you know, big gems. Uh, he had all the quotes. <laughs> yeah, Paul, Paul is a philosopher. He likes to <laughs> philosophize and prophesy. Um, he's definitely, you know, calling on all the angels in this episode for Look, him to make it through. The episode starts with Paul circling the parking lot. He parks, goes in, thinking that he's going to run into coach and sees Pat Riley with his feet kicked up on the desk. <laughs> I can't get enough of this Pat Riley. I love yeah. it. I don't care yeah. if none of this happened. I yeah. love this. Yeah. I yeah. love how they just tease it every single time. Like, I don't know, you want to coach? Yeah. And then he yeah. just stares at the camera that they cut away. It's, it's fucking great. I love it. It's, it's, so it's great. great. He's there. Uh, he's borrowing Jack's Betamax to watch some game footage. <laughs> just great. Um, they give me some nice uh, alliteration to get into the the back and forth of the scene, Chick choked on his vodka at commercial. Yeah. <laughs> and so now we're fully rolling. We're, we're steamrolling into this episode. And basically now they're talking about what they don't know about Jack being in the hospital. They're both apprentices of men. He will become <laughs> Paul's apprentice. This is a very biblical <laughs> standoff that they're mm -hmm. having. And they're doing it all, you know, with a smile and then just none of the, you know, weight of what's really going on has hit them yet. Um, yeah. And it, I think it's just great staging of a scene, you know, just of everything. So um, I, I like yeah. what Paul said. He said, the best thing I know how to do is to help another guy be great. I, yeah, I love that because I feel that way, too. I felt that way as well, of like doing videos and, you know, like yeah. making music for people and they, you know, are very successful off of something you do you're like damn yeah like, as a creative that you know it can honestly be a bit taxing as well because you're doing so much to help someone and they kind of reap all the benefits they get all the glory because you know mm -hmm. later on in the episode once paul does go to the hospital dr buzz calls him pete he doesn't even know this guy's <laughs> name oh, like yeah. no, that's you know wrong I mean? apostle like, yep. yeah <laughs> wrong apostle. great line, great line. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, but the apprentice's dilemma is what he refers to it as, and I thought that was great. Um, and then, of course, he gets into his Hamlet bag. <laughs> right yeah. The other that. thing about that is that it's kind of open to interpretation in the sense, like, what is a coach but someone who makes a bunch of people great? You know, it's like right. just more than one. Right. Yeah, yeah no, that, it goes all the way to the top of the ladder. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. You will be helping people or you should be helping people as a part of your quest, right? And that's kind of like what he's saying and um yeah it's dope to see them because you know he's so worried about his current position not knowing that obviously <laughs> pat will then be his apprentice hello listener guess who's back it's me anthony mays your favorite butcher turned podcast producer and i'm here to talk to you about butcher box ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So yeah. we, yes. we moved. <laughs> My young so, apprentice. And it, Riley. I was, was <laughs> going to say it gives Godfather vibes as well. Like <laughs> he, he makes me feel like a, he's a young Michael Corleone before he knows before his dad gets shot, you know? It's like that moment where he's telling Kay, like, it's, this is my family, but it's not me, <laughs> you know? And basically, he has no idea that he's about to become the head of the Lakers the same way Michael became head of the Corleone. Is literally waiting for him. So Jack's wife calls with the bad news, and then we get to go to Magic Johnson meeting with all of these sneaker reps. Well, wait, one, one, oh, yeah. go for it. one little note at the end of that, um, he has to go to where Jack is at the hospital. The hospital is a little company of Mary hospital. I was born at the little company of Mary hospital. Hey. In <laughs> yeah. Baby Jace. So, yep. Yep. May 26, 1987. I was born at that same exact hospital. So I thought that was dope that I saw that right there as, as the theme song kicked on to the episode. Um, but yeah, then we get magic. Yeah, he's beaten uh, with all these sneaker reps. Well, Adidas, Converse, and Puma. <laughs> Puma, Puma. Puma's there. And he was not thrilled that they just wanted to kind of erase Irvin from from everything, pretty much. It's like, no, th- I'm still EJ, I'm still Irvin. But I mean, at the beginning of the season, when we were introduced to him, his mom didn't want him to be going by magic. It's like, why would you go by that name? And he's like, you know, trying to kind of win his mom over. Like, no, it's a dope name. But at the same time, it's like he's in this meeting and he's feeling some kind of way about losing his identity and just being seen as the smiley, happy guy that we're going to put on posters. And so (laughs) knowing what happens, you know, we already know who he's going to sign with. But I really loved how we were introduced to Phil Knight from Nike, mm-hmm. how he wasn't great even allowed moment. in the room. Great, mm-hmm. great moment. Yeah, I've always heard the legend of Phil Knight selling Nikes out of the trunk of his car at Oregon, right. University <laughs> yep. of Oregon. So this Mixtape style. This, this fell <laughs> yeah. in line with that, exactly. <laughs> bootlegging, bootlegging yeah. out of the trunk. So I like that a lot. I like I like the way they played it, you know, and, and how we have so much information, just like you're saying, B, and and knowing that he's going to be a huge success. But, like, honestly, if I'm Magic, I'm probably not even giving him that much time, you know? Exactly. Like, this is some dude. Yeah. Right, yeah. I, the way they played the scene, it's like it was perfect, you know, because we know that Magic passed on this deal from the, the story that he told. And then, obviously, like, with Phil putting the contract in the shoe and pulling out the blazer and, you know, all of that was just very, like, you know, the way you pictured in your mind of how he pitched him. So I, I love that. Obviously, later in the episode, we get to the actual statistics of what Magic missed out on in that deal. Oh, yeah. Um, which was, man, Big, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, can you imagine? And and they keep telling the, the number that he's getting, right? They keep saying 90,000, 80,000. And you're like, oof, that sounds kind of low. Yeah. You know? You're like. Magic, maybe you should have had uh, Drew Rosenhaus in there or something other than Dr. Day. How did how'd you guys feel about Dr. Day? Oh, boy. Uh, wow. First of all, shout out to Steve Harris. Yeah. He did a yeah. great job. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen him job. in a while. It's funny to see him with the hair and the big goggles. Steve Harris with the toupee. Yeah, dude. <laughs> the, the, that, that was, was pretty great. funny. But he, yeah. he did great. I enjoyed that performance, but. I don't I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted about the Cindy thing. I'm conflicted about the way Magic really handled himself very poorly, <laughs> even if yeah. this isn't real magic. The whole thing made me pretty uncomfortable to be honest with you. And I guess good for Doctor Day, like but Right. But he didn't they he's they talk about how it's a business thing, but then they didn't sign a contract or anything, so it seems like it's probably not gonna end too well for him. 
no, no, no. <laughs> Magic's just running them around right mm-hmm. now. Delivering <laughs> tickets. Like, cool, yeah. dude. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, but that was like, honestly, I love that moment at the end of the episode. And that might be why it's my favorite, because it's such a Magic Johnson moment. Even if it didn't happen, it's just like, what... You know, after the last time he gets off the phone with Cookie and he's basically talking shit to her and she's like, nigga, basically don't fucking call me again. (laughs) He finds out the most playerish way to get her to fuck with him by sending the dad of the girl that he's fucking with to give her some tickets to the Pistons Lakers game. Like, if that's not some player shit, I don't know what it is. Like, his whole interaction with Cindy is some player shit. Like... She is just yeah. doing whatever it is just to stay in his life and in his circle that she even knows that he's on the phone with Cookie while she's even at the crib. While she's washing dishes and cleaning his drawers, he's talking to Cookie. It's like, yo, Magic. Yeah. Magic <laughs> is a fool, dog. Magic <laughs> is hilarious. He's no, a I love how they sh- Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I love how they portrayed him. Even in the in the uh scene later when he's talking to Dr. Day in the in the forum hallway. And he's like, uh, is there something wrong? And he's like, no, well, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, that's the perfect, like, magic, kind of like all shucks, like, guy, you know? He's just like, can you do this thing for me? <laughs> Magic's not supposed to give the bad news, folks. <laughs> exactly. That is not my job. That's right. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, that explains why Magic left the Lakers <laughs> a couple years ago. <laughs> He doesn't and give the know, bad news. No. <laughs> no, I won't be there. <laughs> so, yeah, we love Magic, though. And, yeah, it was just it was fun to see how he, you know, got some kind of game from Dr. Day, you know, a little yeah. bit, uh, how to handle the situation. Because Magic didn't know that, right? When Magic was about to go tell all the other shoe companies that he didn't want to fuck with them, Dr. Day is like, uh, nah, I'll do that. <laughs> like, we don't yeah. we don't need to break any hearts around here on your behalf. Like, so. but you know, he told them also. He was like, you know, you have to make choices that Irvin might make that's bad for Magic Johnson, and I, I mm-hmm. like that because sometimes you have to separate those two. Yep. You have to have someone to at least give you some good advice. And I was going to say earlier when we were talking about the sneakers, when I think of like a businessman, you know, people are going to talk about. out of the two they're gonna put michael jordan on this pedestal but -hmm. when it comes to if i was to ask either one of these guys for business advice i'm going to magic because he has made some mistakes that he can absolutely learn from and be like look (laughs) when i was 19 i i went with converse instead of going with nike and i missed out on billions of dollars when you know michael jordan would have been making money for me and I would absolutely take all the business and financial advice from Magic because he has learned the hard way and has learned to make better decisions based off those mistakes. Yeah, Magic is way more of a businessman, I would think, like just in how he presents himself. But it's funny in this episode how they give so much credit of what happened to Michael Jordan to Magic. You know, they do it a couple times where he's like the one that came up. I want to put my name yeah. on the shoe. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. and so, and then even when Phil Phil Knight walks up to him and he says, "Oh, it's gonna call, be called the Nike Magic," like you mean the Nike Air Jordan, like you know. So it was just yeah. funny how they get a little jab to Mike right there. Like this wasn't this wasn't originally your play, player. You know. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. And just in terms of the history, it's. It's really, it's really close, B. I, I see what you're saying about like you would take advice from Magic, and I was trying to think in my head about what the what the real difference was, and you know I was gonna say that Jordan was better at turning himself into a brand, but I actually don't think that's true because Magic Johnson is a huge brand. I think it yeah. really just comes down to timing, and I yeah. think it's like. Larry and Magic did a shitload of prep work so that a guy like Jordan could sweep in and just catapult into the stratosphere, right? Also, it gave Phil Knight a couple more years to sell shoes out of the trunk. <laughs> yeah. So right. he could have Get a more together. legit plan when he's pitching Mike, Michael Jordan as opposed to the, the nifty little deal in the shoe offer that he had. But, you know. Also, it's the 80s. We're not invested in startups like we are in 2022, you know, so that, that <laughs> yeah. makes sense. 
So Phil Knight courted um, Spencer Haywood, and Spencer was working with Nike and with Phil, and he was testing out the blazer that we got to see. And um, he signed an equity deal with Nike in 72, and tragically, I'm reading here, tragically his agent sold his stock behind his back through power of attorney, and he missed out on about $3 billion. Whew. Whoa. Pour, pour one out for oh. Mr. Haywood. That is just, that is brutal. I, yeah. I read uh, that and started sweating. That was, that's terrible. Nothing like people fucking up other people's money, man. That's, <laughs> that is just the worst shit to hear of all time. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. So here's the deal. Usually when I do these ad reads, um, I've never really tried the product until they became sponsors and then they give samples and I try them and then I endorse them. Uh, I'm not trying to make it seem like it's fake. It's real. I've tried them and I like them, but it's not like I've ever used these things before they became sponsors. Today's a little different. Credit Karma. I'm telling you right now, I've used Credit Karma to fix my credit, to figure out what the problematic things on my credit report was, to pay those things off, uh, to get a loan in order to pay off some of those things, to apply for credit cards, to get credit cards I'll qualify for, to take care of them the right way, and then to make sure I level up. Credit Karma uses your credit data to find loan offers that are personalized to you so you can have a better idea of what loan amount you can get approved for. Credit Karma will even show your chances of approval so you can choose between loan offers that you're more likely to get approved for and apply with more confidence. I've done this, ladies and gentlemen, and it absolutely works. Comparing loan offers on Credit Karma is 100% free, and best of all, it won't affect your credit scores and can save you money. Credit Karma, apply with more confidence today. I am talking to you as someone who has fixed his credit using Credit Karma before they ever paid me to do this stuff right now. That's right. Ready to apply? Head to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to see personalized offers. Go to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to find the loan for you. That's creditkarma.com slash loan offers. And he didn't have a great time in this episode either. Basically, you know, when I was reading his Wikipedia last episode and I was talking about <laughs> it, it says, perfect. yeah, it was he was perfect. addicted to, to cocaine. It came right around in the form of Richard Pryor uh, this episode. And uh, Dr. Mike. Was, and Dr. Mike. They were there to fulfill all of his needs. He came out the locker room at the wrong time. <laughs> it should have just been 30 seconds later because, uh, yeah, Richard was there with white bitches, seven up and plenty of cocaine for them. So, what did yeah. you think of the of the Mike Epps as Richard Pryor? Man, you know what? It grew on me. The second scene was a lot better than the first one. I felt like, and part of that was due to the editing. They were editing him very oddly in the first scene, and it wasn't coming across right. I don't know if they were comfortable with it, with his performance, maybe at the beginning or the lighting or what it was. Um, but I could feel it <laughs> as the viewer. And uh, in the second scene, he felt a lot more comfortable in his line delivery and his approach uh, to the character. But I'll say, like, I give him, like, a four out of five because I liked his serious take at the end of the first scene mm -hmm. when he's kind of schooling magic on dealing with white men and, you know, uh, getting famous. And when, you know, say goodbye to Irvin, say presto to that nigga. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and I want to know, Jason, who do you mm. consider, like, today, who do you consider... Mm to be black famous that maybe mm. white people don't really know about. <laughs> Mike Epps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he's not, he's not on the Kevin Hart level. Yeah. Not quite. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like Lorenz Tate is black famous. Mm, yeah. Yes, he is. You know, because white people do, would not know who he is. Yeah. Um, I, I know who he is. I'm not the target demo to, to be stumped on this, but yeah. Uh, I, speaking <laughs> of celebrity cameos, we got we got Mike Epps showing up as Richard Pryor, which I did enjoy, especially that line you mentioned, Jason. And then mm. we also get a sneak peek, because it's not all going bad for Spencer Haywood. We get to see Amon. Yeah, Ooh. and I did not know. I go know on to be married to David Bowie for a very long time, but that was another little... Stranger than fiction 
situation where it's like, oh, yeah, Spencer Haywood mm-hmm. just gets to the Lakers, already got a celebrity girlfriend. Yeah. Hot. It seemed like he had everything going for him. And to lose that $3 billion, man, that's, that, that's tough. Knowing, knowing that's his full story. And it's crazy, you know, because also part of the Los Angeles thing to me, like I've read books about like um, they have all these like random weird crime stories like the Black Dahlia and like other like there's there's a weird chemistry around tragedy in Hollywood and you City have of broken dreams, Jason. <laughs> And so that's what makes the magics and, you know, obviously the Dr. Buses even more impressive, you know, like the people who are able to come here and thrive within this, you know, hellscape. <laughs> like, yeah. But it's beautiful. And, you know, we we kind of get into all the different like tiers of that. And, you know, obviously magic gets schooled about his, you know, basically succumbing to women and his vices. And, you know, we got obviously the other more tragic side of like Jack in the hospital and like, you know, like yeah. how that's going to change his life and all of that. And so, yeah, we got a couple of interesting hospital scenes. what do you guys think about those? I, I, it just, I feel some kind of way because I spent a lot of time in the hospital with my mother. She had a brain aneurysm and mm. just the whole, like just the unknown once they go under the knife and you know they're just on a ventilator for who knows how long and mm. with paul he is just so stressed out he's thinking that you know oh it's just a, he just fell off the bike he just took a tumble we need him yeah. to coach tomorrow and it's like no it's it's not going to work like that yeah he did the classic get another doctor i am very important and this man needs to be alive tomorrow <laughs> so fix yeah. him and they're like well <laughs> <laughs> this is how science works. This is how medicine works. Like, that's not going to happen. And, you know, he eventually has to figure it out. But I don't know. I mean, you know, Tracy Letts still acting his ass off even in the hospital bed. Like, when he wakes up and <laughs> yeah, uh, double, t- go big, go big <laughs> yeah. against Thompson. <laughs> yeah, so so wait, I love that whole arc throughout the episode yeah. where it was kind of like first we got earlier we get the flash of Jack on mm-hmm. some like Fight Club shit yeah. where it's just like a flash right there, yeah in the scene, and then we keep going to this coma fever dream that he's he's having or is Paul having it about him? We don't know, you know, yeah. uh, who's the perspective, but uh, Paul is having this. Uh, Finkel and Einhorn battle of Haywood or Thompson or Haywood or Cooper, Cooper. or who's go- yeah who's going to guard Thompson um, through throughout the episode and so then Jack has his fucking rosebud moment. He solved it. Yeah, he figured it out in the hospital bed, uh, and he's just like, yeah, like what did he tell him? What did he say, Max? He wanted them to he wanted him to go big and go put, big. Have Haywood boxing out. Ellis, so that then you could get, you know, then you could double team Thompson. It was, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, okay. Paul's, Paul's like, that game was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, like, yeah. But he didn't even oh, say yeah. if they won, which I thought was a funny <laughs> yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, he yeah, He didn't say what he did. He didn't say if yeah. they won. We don't know. Cliffhanger, yeah. right? I guess he'd go check the schedule, but it's like, no, we, we've moved on to other shit, Jack. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a good – that was definitely a good way to string that along throughout. And then, you know, you get the other side where you get you get Paul tripping about it the entire time and just like you said, yeah. like, what do I do? And then he kind of pulls it together though in the locker room. I gotta give it to him. Like he does drop yeah. a quote that absolutely no one understands. <laughs> <laughs> and then he Which was another back. great magic <laughs> another great magic moment. <laughs> Cause magic just interprets interprets everything for everybody. So <laughs> Simply, he's like, so coach dead? <laughs> and everybody's like, yeah, is he dead? What the fuck did you just say? That's the only reason people say big words, right? Give yeah, exactly. grief words. And it's like, but what are you saying? What are you saying? And I'm going to be real. I loved English. I was incredible in, you know, high school, college with it. But when it came time to study in Shakespeare, that shit was tough. I, that, all of that went over my head. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I never was much for for Shakespeare. No, couldn't. Iambic pentameter. 
Yeah. Midsummer Night's Dream, all of that. Uh, you can miss me, son. <laughs> but yeah, can Billy we shakes. can we talk about Dr. Bus meeting with the owners of the Great Western Bank at the yeah, we got another Jack. Hotel? Yeah, we got Jack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was great. He sends over a bottle to the to the table of Frank Mariani and Jerry Bus and the two bankers, Wes and some other guy, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Bus is ready to make a deal with the $72 that they have in Frank's pocket. <laughs> yeah, and it should be said that the the bottle from Jack, they had to comp his tickets for the year. Season so, tickets, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's how yep. it started there, and I have a feeling that, you know, doesn't seem like Jack's probably paid for too many tickets in his lifetime. That'd just be my guess. But that was right. well-placed, yes. And then, you know, they just continually putting their back against the wall with this, right? Like, we got to manufacture as much drama as we can from this loan situation, even though we know that he's going to figure it out. But It was fun, though. It was fun to watch them go through it and also how it connects to the story with the mom, I thought was great. Right. And so I, I like how they give this interplay of family and the drama and, you know, basically them trying to stretch a dollar and figure out, their next play, it's a family-owned business. Everybody loves to say that about the Lakers. So I like how they build that up. And then just also whenever you get like this this surly banker, asshole, jerk that's kind of like a like a Shooter McGavin almost type of guy, you just like you want to punch him in the face. <laughs> I love when you get those characters. And then John C. Riley kind of plays with them a little bit, which is fun. Yeah, Frank, you know, he tells them the payment plan is that we don't plan to pay. Pay, yeah. They pretty much just want an extension and a new line of credit and more time to, you know, make some money so that they can classic, do something. Classic move, you know, just when you get, when you owe somebody money and you flip it on them and make them give you money, that is <laughs> showtime, baby. That's how it's done. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Sorry, and I'm, that's so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's, it's winning time. <laughs> winning time. <laughs> that's what I meant. And I guess in a way that kind of mirrors what um, Magic is doing, right? Like they're Jerry and Magic are both pulling off incredible tricks in this episode, and you know, Magic's is with the ladies and Jerry's with the dollars, and that's kind of their thing, right? So that was yeah. it's it's fun to see. Also, I love the scenes with Jerry and Frank. Like those are becoming like one of my favorites. That little those riffs that they have back and forth. What did he tell him? He said uh, you're. He called him Clark Gable or who did he call Fred Astaire him? Astaire or something Fred, like that. Fred, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. Uh, I, I wrote, because he called him, one of them was a female. I don't know if it was like, Dor oh, he said, you're Gene Kelly, you're Ginger Rogers. Oh, uh, yeah. China. So Gene China. Kelly and Ginger Rogers, famous dancers, and the whole thing was everything that Gene Kelly could do, Ginger Rogers could do backwards and in heels. Mm. Mm. That's fire. I like that. Well, speaking of famous dancers, they also mentioned Michael Jackson, who they're getting, they're comping some more tickets yeah. uh, before we get introduced to the Forum Club, which was fun. That that took me back to like Entourage, because that was like the, the HBO vibe I got from that scene. We got a nice little Coke sniff, see some girls, everybody <laughs> smiling, you know, it's yeah. like you get that little party edit. Man, that's just like a shot of excitement into the show. But the, the one thing that they are really battling at this point is that at the meeting, he's like, so what if I say that you guys have to pay this $3 million tomorrow? And he's like, you know, we'll just file for bankruptcy and you take, you know, whatever crumbs that we have. And they're like, oh, the Lakers is, is worth something. And it's like, well, actually, <laughs> uh, my wife owns it. So my ex-wife. So it's not even like mine. And he goes to his mom's house and she is just going through it. What a scene. As soon as he walks in, papers are being blown everywhere. She's losing her shit. Jeannie is just confused and just trying to do whatever she what can. What was Jeannie doing? She, I don't know. She was just there. I don't know. She, yeah, she right. wasn't helping. It wasn't no smell. Jeannie, you should have closed that window. All them papers flying everywhere, girl. We need them papers. We need them papers. And you then, know how you know, that is, though, when your grandma tells you to do stuff, you just feel like you have to do it. To like, do it, right. You've right. been doing it your whole life. I was going to say one thing about Sally Field. She going to lay in that bed. She going <laughs> to die in that bed. <laughs> I was like, 
gave you that Forrest Gump vibe. She's sitting in the bed. I was like, wow, I've been watching Sally Field in that bed for 30 years. <laughs> Don't nobody lay in a bed like Sally Field, man. Yeah, for sure. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so what we, what we suspected, what they teased us with last week, right? Like, something's mm-hmm. up. Something's up with grandma. Not all the marbles are where they're supposed to be. And we get a very interesting reaction from Jerry, Dr. Buss, which is complete denial. Yeah. Let's just pretend like everything's fine. She'll be fine. She'll figure it out. It's going to be fine. Jeannie, you especially chill out because it'll be fine. And I don't think it's going to be fine, guys. Hate to break it to you. No. No. And I relate to Jeannie. Like I had, you know, I dealt with this issue with a great grandmother of mine when she, you know, developed signs of dementia and Alzheimer's and it was just very tragic. Like I called her one time and she started asking me like the same questions over and over. And I'm like, and questions that she knew the answer to. So I'm like, okay. I remember she asked me like, how's your mom doing? I'm like telling her, yeah, my mom's good. Well, how's your mom's husband doing? My mom's never been married. So I was like, "Uh, okay. Not too good. Hmm. (laughs) And then, you know, I went to see her and she confused me with her daughter that had passed away decades prior. So I was like, Mm. okay, something's happening here. And I will say that I think that this was my dad's uh, grandmother, that my dad was in a bit of denial because this is the woman who raised my dad and he's always seen her in her quote unquote, like right mind. And so, yeah, you're going to have a bit of denial, like, um, no, everything's fine. She's just probably, you know, it's whatever. Yeah, plus the stress of, you know, the the $3 million loan and, like, they have to file the paperwork. Like, he really doesn't have have time, quote, unquote, Mm -hmm. to attend to his grandmother or to his mother's declining condition. It's it's not on his to-do list right now. Yeah, no time to sit with that. Jeannie, just fucking deal with it. (laughs) It's fine. <laughs> Get your shit together. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was on one. It's a lot going on. We still don't know what's going on with Jack. <laughs> and then Paul has to go to the press conference. Oh, Jerry has God. some good lines. <laughs> Jerry Jerry West has some good lines in this episode. I see, this is exactly what I'm thrilled about the way they did it, right? We had a ton of Jerry West, episode one and two. We know who he is. We got a feel for how Jason Clark's going to play the character. And then now he just pops up and he just like drops one liners. And sometimes he's wearing a bucket hat and he's just kind of around. Like it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. I love, I love everything he did in this episode. It was excellent. He's settling into this, you know, unofficial role of what president of operations. Like he's, he's the guy to pull everything and everyone together. He's helping everyone with the transitions of, from coaches, from not having a coach, one coach quitting and, you know, bringing in another coach. So he's, I, I like what we're, what we're getting with Jerry, even though, you know, we're not getting as much, we're getting just enough. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And Paul just lays an egg, takes a <laughs> shit on the stage at the press conference. He started getting too chummy with the press. <laughs> he, he was swimming with the sharks and, you know, stuck his hand out and they're like, uh, what the fuck? Yeah, is he, is he, he a vegetable? Is Jack a vegetable? He said he said the right thing, and then he just started feeling himself, and he kept talking, and then he dug himself a grave. It was it was pretty well done there, yeah. So he yeah. said, "If it be now, tis not to come. If it be not to come, it will be now. <laughs> if yep. it not be now, yet it will come. The Yo. readiness is all." And everyone's like, "The fuck." <laughs> it's that sounds like what cousin Greg was trying to say when he was deposed in succession. If it is to be yeah. said, so it be, so it is. It's the yeah. same level of intellect that we're dealing with, and kind of the same gangly body in Jason <laughs> Siegel. For sure, I love Jerry's. Like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> he was like my comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, we we get Coop and uh, Haywood. They had a little arc in this episode. Yeah. Basically, Coop is unsure of himself, and uh, Haywood's trying to give him some confidence, and he ends up on the wrong side of that <laughs> engagement <laughs> as well because he ends up on the bench when uh, Paul benches him in favor of the more defensive-minded, uh, quick 
Cooper. And in shape. And in shape, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Haywood got a little offended and stepped to Paul. And yeah. uh, Paul has his first kind of confrontation and interaction with the player because, you know, he was just uncomfortable the whole time. And he reassures Haywood that it was a basketball decision, gives him a polite smile, and uh, goes on about his day. And then the fellas started to rag on Magic about his little boo thing that really ain't his boo thing, who wants right. to be his boo thing. She brought yeah. huge flowers to the hospital, to the hospital. For, yeah. uh, for Coach. And, yo, that just really fucked him up. Because I guess at the, at the time where the guys are at the hospital, he's having these meetings with the, with the sneaker companies. And he was like, I didn't even know she showed up on my behalf. Like, what the fuck is that? And so that's when he has to pull her into the hallway like, hey, girl. <laughs> but what I did like about that scene is that Jeannie read the the moment. She read the room, was like, you know what? I'm going to take you to your seats, girl. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. he is not focused. He is mad right now. He doesn't really want to talk to you. So I'm going to just get you on. And Cindy's dad, Dr. Day, came in right on time. So they could have their, you know, their talk and their situation. Yeah, Cindy was doing the most this episode. Uh, She was trying to help Magic in every situation. I think so, Um, too. Yeah, and that's the fucked up part about it. It's just Magic didn't want help from her. He wants Cookie. I mostly just just feel bad for her, man. That's really (laughs) the thing. Like, you know, especially especially to, to really help Magic out by bringing in her savvy dad. And then yeah. have her dad fucking burn her, you know, and yeah. oh my God, basically to have, imagine if you're dating someone and they're like, you know, you're great. <laughs> you know who's really dope? Your dad. <laughs> I want to fuck with him. I wanna I'm going to hang out, hang with, out him. with him actually. <laughs> and uh, I'll catch you later. Thanks though. Thanks for the time. Thanks for bringing the flowers and embarrassing me. That yeah, whole, exactly. That whole scene at the forum club was like, that was a lot. When she came in, you know, after, you know, he had his whole talk with, with uh, Richard Pryor, Dr. Buzz comes over and pulls him over and just showing him off. It's like, look what we got. This is our star and he's ours. He belongs to us. And she comes over and sits yep. on his lap and becomes all of a sudden his publicist and, you know, oh, we should sign autographs. It's like, girl, we, what, what are we doing? Now yep. that, that was the part that I was like, okay, girl, now mm-hmm. you have really overstepped. What do you mean we need to sign autographs and I have a pen and here we go. And, you know, did he tell you she had that? A pen. Yeah. And he was like, oh yeah, she has a pen. <laughs> he was so disturbed. He takes her into the locker room and is like, look, bitch. No, I'm not who you think I am. Why do you love me? Why Why are you doing all of this? And she's just obsessed with this guy. I can, but I get it. Like, I could see Magic being the most charming guy. And I don't see him really talking shit to her when they're just like having their own thing going on. But in that situation, it's like, okay, now you've done too much and I got to put you in your place. But right, he's a well, soft kind of sh- <laughs> they, Yeah, they kind of show that with Magic and the next scene yeah. where magic is the guy who will eat you out, but he won't say, I love you. <laughs> That's kind of who he is, right? He's very nice, but he's not going to stay the night. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. That's very magic. Johnson. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, the, so they love him. What's not to love, you know, it's hard for them to let go with such a, such a, and he's the, the king of LA. He's, Running the Lakers, he's a young man. You know, he's had the world at his feet. And he's, you know, being as kind to everyone as he can. But there are only so many hours in a day, and he wants to accomplish the things he wants to accomplish. Also, I I need to say that it was super fucked up of Magic to not show up for his coach at the hospital. Cap called him out for it. That's that's unacceptable, bro. Like, I don't even know. Like, you would lose so much credibility if that happened for real. And then, finally... I wanted to acknowledge, because it was a line from the background, but I'm about 99% sure that it was my guy Landsberger, the white man, who said, as they're roasting Magic for, for his girl, he says, I'd like to be friends with her. <laughs> yeah. I didn't hear it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't hear that either. Landsberger. <laughs> 
the line I wanted to shout out was from Jack when he comes back and he says, fuck my dick. Yeah. Yeah. That was a line reading. Oh, yeah. man. Line reading and a half right there. Oh yeah, my gosh. that was great. We got yeah, anything else? Fun. What else happened in this episode? So much. It was so much. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It was such a fun episode. Paul pulling up in the VW in the front of the forum to go coach the Laker game. <laughs> like, that was great because it's like he doesn't, yeah, he's not rich yet. He's, he's just this dude pulling up in a, BMW, a VW, not a BMW, to go coach the fucking Lakers. Like, I, I love that little moment right there. Well, we did get a deal between Dr. Buss and uh, Great Western Bank where mm-hmm. they got the six-month extension, but at 30% interest. That is the big OD. <laughs> yeah, 30% on $3 million. Woo! That's, that's, uh, that's, that's crazy. It's a healthy sum right there. It's another million. Well, come back in May, and after they win the title in a few weeks of vacation, he's going to walk in his office in Sacramento, and he's going to beg to keep his business. That's right. Mm. Just like we're going to beg the show to change its title, but they're not going to do it. Because this is Showtime, the podcast based on the show Winning Time, which is based on the book Showtime, which airs every Sunday night on HBO, not Showtime. For Bethany Anderson, Jason Madison, I'm Anthony Mays, and we'll see you next time. Peace.